one of the biggest things that I am grateful for in all of this, as much as this has been horrible in almost every way, but I am grateful for the fact that it's shaken me up and it's allowed me to rethink my class structure as both asynchronous and synchronous. Because we're all in that same position right now, we're all figuring it out and every day it's like, ooh, this is a brilliant idea. And then maybe two days later, like, oh, never mind, that's not gonna work anymore because X, Y, and Z happened. So being willing to be flexible and not be cemented in and be ebbing and flowing with what's going on. Flexibility indeed. Friends, it's good to be back with you. It is uh, early August. We recorded this originally back in uh, late May, May 28th. And uh, two things, actually a bunch of things transpired to prevent me from getting it out into your feeds. Uh, before now, uh, I was in charge of our district's virtual graduation production and all of the, uh, the headshots for 337 seniors uh, and the post. And uh, if I'm being honest with you, I was, I was a little embarrassed. Uh, this episode brings together uh, six other absolutely fantastic folks uh, to shed some light on uh, the summer that was going to be and now was and how we confront the fall. And um, I got really frustrated by the, uh, the audio quality and some of the things that I tried to do. It was a lot to manage um, seven people on the call. And um, yeah, I, I'll just be honest with you. I was a little embarrassed at, at how it all came out. We tried for a video as well and um, I couldn't uh, hack that, but I got over myself and, uh, you know, sometimes there's typos in yearbook and sometimes podcasts have uh, not as great audio as we'd like. So I want to uh, to help you understand what you're about to listen to. Uh, I said we had six people join in on the call. We had Jeff Moffitt, Stephen Green, Kristen Taylor, Brooke Renna, Jed Palmer, and Becky Tate, uh, reps and advisors from all over the country. And uh, just a, a really superstar cast uh, to talk about, reflect on, uh, at that point in time, where we were in late May, what things were going to look like uh, with workshops and trainings into the summer, and certainly to speculate into uh, the year to come in the, uh, the 2020 and 2021 uh, school year. Now, I'll tell you uh, that we've got another episode in the pipeline immediately behind us. I'll probably release these on consecutive days. Uh, the next episode is I think a natural kind of part two uh, to this and very much a look forward into the uh, year ahead. Just recorded uh, yesterday here uh, in early August, August uh, 9th, I guess it was. Uh, that's with Alicia Merrifield of the Village School in Texas and Callie Williams from Astronaut High School down in Titusville, Florida. So it's my hope, uh, you know, that you take this set of episodes as kind of a package deal. Uh, there won't be outros on either of them, uh, simply some good conversation, lots of honesty and creative thinking. And I hope as you confront the year ahead, uh, wherever you are on your yearbook journey, however new or old you are to it, whatever circumstances you face uh, on hybrid or blended learning or face-to-face, -face, I hope that you are well and healthy, first of all, that you, uh, you know, not just, just physically, but certainly that your, your mental health is there as well. Um, you need to be able to be uh, there for your kids, to be the, the educators and mentors that they need, but that with the resources that you've got from your company, hopefully the support you've got from your school district, the buy-in you've got from your friends, and uh, hopefully some connections that you have out in the greater journalism world that you realize that, that yeah, it, it might be tough, but you can do it. You can do this. And I hope that what you're about to hear is a good help 
and uh, getting your, your thoughts prepped and, and helping ease your, your way back into uh, teaching and yearbooking this fall. So without further from me, here's our conversation again with Jeff Moffitt, Stephen Green, Kristen Taylor, Brooke Renna, Jed Palmer, and Becky Tate. us. I don't think any of us profess, honestly, at the at the start to have any answers uh, per se, but most everybody here, I think all of us have lots and lots of questions, have people in our orbits who are curious about uh, what they're going to be doing in the yearbook world next year and how that's all going to work. And I wanted to bring together these folks just to have the conversation and, and maybe even just to think about the questions we should be asking so that we can begin to uh, build towards something that looks like going back to school. Uh, first, a couple introductions. Uh, Jed Palmer is a CJE. He's the journalism advisor at Sierra Middle School. He's the other bald guy on the call, uh, a dear friend of mine, <laughs> kind of bald guys with cameras. We do camera stuff together. Um, he's cool. got NSPA, oh, there you go, NSPA pacemakers and crowns uh, behind him. And the coolest thing about Jed, one of the coolest things, is that he does it all with many, many, many dozens of middle schoolers. Um, the Sierra Middle School yearbook is really, it's just a fine yearbook. It's not even a fine middle school yearbook. It's just one of the best yearbooks in the country. Um, Jed, welcome. Thank you. Uh, Brooke Renna, um, somebody that I've just met, uh, which I'm so, I'm so glad to have you on the call, Brooke. Uh, she is a yearbook lifer. You can tell that by her Instagram handle. She's at the yearbook lifer. Uh, because she's been doing yearbooks since sixth grade. Um, I didn't know how to spell yearbook in sixth grade. I only got into it when I got my first job. And they said, hey, new guy, could you do this for us? And I was like, sure, okay, whatever. Uh, but she's been in it really uh, from the start. She's a Walsworth representative in Northern California and takes a particular interest in photography and storytelling. Uh, and those are two things that we have huge questions about for next year, Brooke. So thanks for being on the call tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Jeff Moffitt is a creative accounts manager with Jostens. He uh, originally hailed from Florida. And Jeff, where are you these days? Where does life find you? Um, I live in Dallas. In Dallas. That's what I thought. And you had transplanted over to uh, over to Texas. He had advised previously. Yeah, I, grew up, uh, I grew up in Austin and I taught in Florida. So I was glad to come back to Texas, even though it's not Austin. Right. <laughs> There's nothing else like Austin. Um Jeff taught at Olympia High School uh, and JEA in 2006, named him a rising star and a special recognition advisor in 2010. So he brings a wealth of experience from the classroom as well. And again, Jeff, hello, and, and thanks for being here tonight, buddy. It's good to see your face. Thank you, you too. Thanks for having me. Kristen Taylor uh, just took a new role through JEA. Uh, Kristen, you just got appointed as the Scholastic Press Rights Committee chairperson, right? Yes, I did. She advises at the Archer School for Girls in Los Angeles, uh, multiple publications there. I believe that's right, Kristen. And could you tell the audience, can you give us like the elevator summary on what the SPRC is all about? Because I think some people are going to need the Press Rights Committee as an advocate and ally in the fall. Absolutely. Um, so Scholastic Press Rights Committee is the group of JEA that really focuses on empowering and advocating for student press rights across the country. And we are here for advisors, um, primarily, of course, because JEA is an education association for advisors, but we are also there for the students. Um, sometimes what we end up doing is referring them to the Student Press Law Center because they're the lawyers, but um, we're here to answer questions, to provide resources, and to help fight against censorship and um, prior review. Well, thank you. And Kristen, thanks for being here. It's good to see you again, too. 
Uh, new friend here, um, Stephen Green, also down in Texas. You're just north of Houston, right? At Caney Creek High School. Right. Yeah. If you just if you're in Houston and you drive about 45 minutes hour north, you're going to hit me somewhere in the woods. There, there you go. Yeah, north of the. <laughs> uh, Stephen teaches, uh, as I said, at Caney Creek High School. He's just wrapping up his third year teaching there. Um, he advises the Creek Yearbook, the Prowler newspaper, and online web news site. And uh, in case we need to make a pitch for it, uh, Stephen is also enrolled in the master's program in journalism education at Kent State University, which is a, just a top flight program for any people listening, needing to pursue the master's, any of the rest of it. Stephen, do you want to put in a plug for the program? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I went to school and undergrad for journalism. I was a professional reporter, you know, for a while. And then going into this, even the program has helped me not only as my journalism background, but also my education background. So if anybody needs to either brush up on either one of those skills, I went from a pro to be uh, an educator, so I needed the education help, and other people need the other side. And so the program helps with both of those. I highly recommend it if you can. I also graduated from Kent State's program. I got my master's through that program in 2018, actually, and I was the opposite. I had many years of 15 or so years of education experience, but had never done journalism and went in the other side. So I also highly recommend it. Anybody else on the call go to the Kent State? <laughs> we can do like bingo on, on, yeah. on uh, uh, the program, Stephen. Asni no longer called Asni. That's how old I am. <laughs> uh, Stephen, again, welcome and, and certainly great to make your acquaintance. And I hope this is the first of many conversations for us. So it's good to have you with us tonight. I appreciate being here. Uh, last, not least at all, uh, Becky Tate. Uh, Becky advises at Shawnee Mission North High School in the greater Shawnee Mission journalism metroplex. Um, there's 18 high schools and they all have amazing journalism programs. There's something in the water. Um, after 31 years of teaching, finally, finally, Becky was named the HL Hall Yearbook Advisor of the Year this year. And um, I am, I'm just a guy in upstate New York, Becky, but we could not celebrate you in Nashville. Um, so a uh, hip hip and hooray to you and congratulations on this honor is long overdue for you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Becky's work in journalism in, uh, in the town. Am I right, Becky? You've got five former students who are journalism advisors now and two of them work in the Metroplex. I was going to say, I've got just in my own district, I've got two former students, one at South and one at West. And then my husband's the journalist teacher at East. And Susan Maxley, who's beyond amazing, is over at Northwest. So we've got a pretty nice little group together. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. You guys are so lucky to have each other and, and, and to enrich the lives of all of those students together is uh, is really something else. So everybody, that's uh, that's our panel on the podcast um, tonight. Again, thank you. And, and let's dive into it. Um, there are so many questions that are coming from journalism advisor Facebook groups. Some of them are cropping up on the JEA listserv. I've got to imagine that the companies are monitoring their reps and advisors for questions and concerns um, that are building. Uh, as we look toward the summer and what's ahead of us, I could look back at everything that's been since the mid-March and we've all lived it. I think we need to look forward. Um, what are some of the questions that you guys have about summertime and camps and supporting your kids and doing some of the normal stuff that you would do in a summer that at least for me, it feels like we can't do right now. And again, I don't know if we want to be solutions oriented or 
one of the big things on my mind is is this. But Becky, if I could come to you first and then over to Jed, um, what does the summer ahead look like for the North kids and you and your program? And, and where would you start? You know, we started, we're, we're, we're actually still finishing up this year's book. So that's where okay. my summer starting is finishing. Um, never done a summer book, but when everything went down, I was like, you know, I'd like to get as much of this in as I can. If we are going to have a road graduation, which right now it's scheduled for July, it might be kind of cool to have that in there because it's kind of historic. I'd like to see that in there. So we're just pushing it. And, and I also wasn't sure about a place for the books to be stored. That was the other part of it back in March. Today would be okay. Um, but what I think I'd already, I'd already scheduled my um, pictures to be taken the second day of school. So, and right now, We've got school sports scheduled to start in July, so we'll see. So I'm hopeful that we'll get back to school and we'll be able to get those pictures taken. That was my main because I wanted to have those mug pictures taken, um, and I was real happy. I talked to the, to our, I'd already reached out to both our principal and our photographer to make sure that we had plenty of space, all those issues could be taken care of, and they felt pretty positive that everything was going to be okay. Wow. Wow. And Jed, for you, do you guys normally do a, a camp process? I know we, we've taught together at camps and things, so I know that that's kind of also off the table or is going to be lived differently for so many of us. But what about your kids and your program? We actually normally start, you know, like first of May, you know, after we've put the previous book kind of to bed and getting ready for delivery. We start having those conversations, uh, you know, with kids that are going to be back on staff. What does next year's book look like? You know, what are the ideas, you know, start and I know we're not the only ones, a lot of us get going in the spring. So I'm already feeling a month behind uh, yeah. on those pieces. I think what the summer looks like is, I, I think the biggest thing is figuring out ways that we can connect with students. Like that's gonna be my first issue is how do we make those connections that normally would have happened in the spring or normally would have happened during the summer at workshops and things like that. How do we bond with that new staff? How do we pull those kids together into a, a cohesive working group uh, before we ever start looking at uh, publication schedules or ladders or anything like that? Uh, how do we function together as people? You know, as I think about what I've experienced at camps with my kids, um, I just flashed to like being in the auditorium of a small, you know, local college spread out in you guys have all seen it i think like in the wash of magazines and you just park it for like two hours because that's where the magic happens and that's where you're just like you know maybe there's some music on you're all sharing pretzel rods or whatever and it's that organic like we're in it together time i cannot be on a zoom call with students for two hours like we all turn into mouth breathers and it's not productive it's not the same so Brooke, as, as we're looking at, as Jed says, connecting with students and things, what are some of the things that you're thinking about for your customers, maybe reps in your orbit are talking about? How are you going to support people like us and the staffs that we work with so we don't all get like Zoom gloom all summer for, from being on screen too much, but still make those connections and progress? No, definitely. I think those concerns are so valid. It's something that we've been kind of brainstorming back and forth, back and forth with um, the other reps I work with, but then also with all the advisors I work with. And of course, what we've come up with so far is probably not going to be the end all be all, but we are doing our virtual camps. And so schools that don't want to do the full on virtual style camp, we are hoping to maybe in 
September, August, that they'd be able to do some in-person things because a lot of my middle school staff, for example, they don't even know who's on their staff until the first day of school. And so they don't even get that opportunity. And so it's like, okay, but then the high schools, the core group of editors, at least that I've been talking with, they seem more apt to be like, yeah, we're definitely going to do the virtual workshops. We're definitely going to be on there and we want to zoom with you whenever you can, even if it's just for five minutes to show you something we're thinking about. And so it's, I think it's going to be very much student run because like you said, when you're staring at the screen for so long, you do just kind of zone out and nothing productive really gets done after a certain point. And so instead of camp where you're on a campus for eight hours, it's like, all right, let's do a 30 minute meeting today and let's see where our thoughts take us. And then, okay, let's do another 30 minute meeting in a couple days because just being on the screen for so long is not productive for anyone. And I think to Jed's point, like starting on May 1st, everything that I've missed that's behind me that I feel like I can't catch up on now, I, I described it to one of my editors earlier. I feel like we go into the summer with a list of, 10 things to do. And on a good year, we, we know what we're doing. We come through the door on day one and 10 things are checked off. Right now, I feel like there's 17 things on the list and a new one coming every day. And that by September, I'll be lucky if we have two of them crossed off. So Jeff, I'm gonna dump this in your lap. You've been at this a while. You've been an advisor. You've got the, the broad view of seeing a lot of different highly, highly functional programs. In what ways are, are we needing to reinvent the summer or think yearbook different? Like where, where has your brain gone on some of this as we look into the summer specifically? Well, a couple of things, um, you know, one of the things about summer workshops is always we think, okay, we're getting stuff done, but just like you guys have mentioned, we're losing that time of our kids getting to work together and to know each other. And so as that translates to kind of like what Brooke was talking about, having virtual workshops and things like that. Um, even just from a teaching standpoint, I think we need to stop lecturing to kids for an hour. Um, so I'm really looking at taking, you know, something that we traditionally might've had a 45 minute PowerPoint. How can we break that up into smaller chunks and then say, hey, now's the time for you guys to work on this one thing and we'll come back to you, whatever that looks like. And that's the tricky part. We you know, figuring out, yeah, Brooks, I've been be, I think planning a virtual workshop is a lot harder than an in-person one, you know, oh, because the registrations, yeah, um, but it's really going to be breaking it down. But I think that's interesting that this is something we probably need to do even when we are going back face-to-face -face because, I mean, they can't sit still for 45 minutes and hear someone as smart as we think we are. So how do we, you know, break that up? So I think the teaching model is changing um, but I do really keep wanting to think, okay, how do we get these kids to bond via Zoom? And some of them don't won't even know each other. They just got picked on, on staff or, and now, you know, it's very, I don't have an answer, but I am conscious of that and thinking, okay, what, what can we do to make it fun for them? You know, maybe it's just stand up and dance, like be like Ellen. I don't know. Um, well, I'm sorry, that's a not an answer that's not an answer, but I am yeah. thinking about that. We are, we are here to think about stuff and ask questions. I, I truly, and I meant what I said to you guys when I reached out to you the first time. I, I, I mean, it, there's so much in front of us. I feel like my brain is melting out of my ear on the daily if I start thinking too much. I've had a little bit of this conversation with Jed, and I think we're in a very um, similar place there. 
Kristen, I, I, I've come to admire you as somebody who really cares deeply about the students with whom she works. So when you think about connections and outreach and the heart stuff, like I, I feel, I feel like sometimes when we dive in with the kids, it's brass tacks of like, here's how to interview, here's Aperture, let's go in and we'll, we'll get to know each other throughout all of it. I feel like I want to say, like, if we can front load some of that relationship stuff, like we're going to, we're going to need to be able to draw on that all the more because of how weird this is right now. I'm not sure. Does that make sense? You're nodding. So maybe it makes sense, but yes, how would you yeah. that? So, I mean, I'm coming at this a couple different ways. Um, one thing I think is going to be really important, like you said, is to start the team building early and to rethink how we do team building. Um, one of the biggest things that I am grateful for in all of this, as much as this has been horrible in almost every way, but I am grateful for the fact that it's shaken me up and it's mm -hmm. allowed me to rethink my class structure as both asynchronous and synchronous. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about, okay, the first 30 minutes, we're supposed to meet during this time, the first 30 minutes, we're not going to be on screen at all. Here's what you're going to be doing. You're going to be doing a scavenger hunt around your house. You're going to be creating something from found materials. You're going to be then coming 30 minutes later, and we're all going to like show off our stuff and we're going to talk about what it means to us, or we're going to take our, take everyone on, um, on a, to interview someone in our household. And you're going to learn a little bit about interviewing while you get the parents and the families involved in a way that maybe they aren't normally in your book, depending on your campus. So I think a lot of the things, especially when we're remote, whether it's in the summer or in the fall, because being in Los Angeles, I got to tell you, I'm not confident we're going to be back in the fall. Um, it, yeah. Uh, and, or if we are back in the fall, I'm, I'm also expecting there will be times during this year where maybe we'll be back and then someone at the school will develop COVID and we will be shut down again for a month or something like that. So I, I'm really rethinking the idea of synchronous and asynchronous and relationship building as something we do um, that we prepare for and then we come together and share. Um, and the other thing I want to just say is there's a real power to doing walk and talks, having a group phone call instead of a screen and, you know, having kids in smaller groups, like three or four kids in a group on a little conference call while they walk around their neighborhoods. So I think it's going to be a lot of outside the box thinking. And then I also feel really strongly about when there is a way to be in person, do it. Like I drove all over LA just to drop off my seniors little <clears throat> presents before they left, because that's something that I could do, you know, and we're not a neighborhood school. We have 79 right. zip codes that go to my school. Um, but we, but we did it and, and it meant a lot to them. So that's a lot of talking, but hopefully those are just some no, ideas. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, and Stephen, I want to bring the conversation around to you. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to say this at all impolitely, but you're, you're the newest to the classroom among the active advisors on the call. Um, and, and some of that is by design because I wanted to get a breadth of experience. We've got rural schools and city schools and private schools and public schools. Um, do you, do you feel like you're maybe at all at an, at an advantage because you haven't learned some of the bad habits that I've got from 20 years in the classroom? Are you, going to be able to be a little bit more flexible in your thinking. Jeff mentioned like chunking content, you know, yes, we go to um, JEA and present and, and Jed and I can hold forth on the best lens to buy for 45 minutes until people's eyeballs are bleeding in the back row. Are we better served by nine minutes? Now go do go interview that person at your house, like Kristen uh, suggested. 
Um, where's your thinking on, on and, and maybe speaking specifically to newer advisors um, among the, the listening audience? Well, I think the biggest issue that new advisors have and that I had are, are that you just don't know what to do at all. Most of the time you're thrown the yearbook and just you're like, here, this is, this is the thing that you're making now. And you ask, you're how do you do guy. that? <laughs> yeah, and they're like, I don't know how to, I don't know what you did. Luckily, I at least have done it before in high school. Um, but um, I think that the thing that does help me is I'm not trying to process all of the, how's my classroom going to work? Because even, uh, uh, you know, this during the break, I kind of did a lot of it on the fly. I kind of thought, well, you know, this week they're talking a lot about this in the, in the news. So we're going to talk about media law this week or um, you know, like, oh, you know, it would be a fun thing to do is teach them how to properly edit a photo on your cell phone. Um, so mm -hmm. a lot of it was kind of just throwing stuff out there and seeing what stuck. Um, but I think that one thing that might be also interesting is that where I see a lot of turnover is in rural and low socioeconomic schools is where you see a lot of yearbook advisor turnover, at least in my experience I've seen. And one thing that we're going to experience uh, specifically is we could, you know, talking about summer, we, we can't afford to go to camps anyway. Um, it's not something that we can typically, the kids can't pitch in, you know, $400 for airfare or whatever. It's just, it's not going to happen. Um, uh, and a lot of my kids, in addition to that, there's all these virtual training opportunities. But now I have so many that as a newer advisor, I have no which one to send my kids to, right? Yeah. They've got the Balfour one that we've got, the TAJE has one, uh, you know, and just, all of these organizations are hosting now, and it's a lot, um, which <clears throat> is a good thing. But then you got to consider. So the positive is that now the kids that couldn't afford to go to camps now they can, but those same kids might not have internet access. A lot of my kids don't have, you know, they just haven't. I haven't been able to meet with my kids at all. Uh, I haven't had video chats with them. Um, I've occasionally chatted with them through our uh, communication app that we do. But, um, you know, I've basically been, I'm still working on my yearbook, which was supposed to be come out uh, two weeks ago, but, um, you know, it is what it is. So I think that's the biggest thing that newer advisors need to think about is just the benefit from is not having those bad habits, like you said, but uh, those low socioeconomic advisors have to consider how are you going to deal with lack of internet and technology going forward as well. Yeah, the, the digital divide is is absolutely real, and I think I think all of us have probably experienced that in one way or another, or at least been adjacent to somebody um, who has. Um, you you spoke about the editing on the cell phone, which is something that I definitely want to come back to. I know again, it's been something Jed and I have gone sidebar. I'm sure Brooks got something to say. Becky's got a screaming photo program and is married to a guy who lives and breathes photography as well. We got to confront cameras and do we disinfect them between kids using them and i just said to my editors my, my baby editors for next year like is there going to be a dirty shelf and a clean shelf in the cabinet and we like what does that look like and how do we and somebody asked i, I asked on one of the um advising groups on facebook i asked for some questions to pose to you all and somebody said how do you even disinfect a camera like is it okay to put something that's slightly liquidy on it uh, and things like that um, Becky, in your experience uh, advising, working with advisors, mentoring advisors that you've worked with, um, how much mileage had programs gotten out of iPhoneography pre-COVID and, and you know, pre-middle of March 
Um, I, I know we can stand by it in a nicely lit situation, but an iPhone's not going to hack Friday night lights, which is another thing we need to talk about, whether or not there's going to be Friday night lights. But Becky, can you talk to me about cell phones a little bit and, and photography? Gosh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm the person who will say, if there's something going on, you don't have your regular camera with you, you got your phone with you, because I've seen it in your hand 24-7, take a picture. Like, take, use the camera that you've got with you. That's, that's just like the general rule. You know, I prefer it to be my nicer cameras, but if that doesn't happen, which it doesn't all the time, um, as long as you know angle, you know all the basics of photography, you can still get a nice shot. Doesn't always mean we can run it huge. You know, that's that's the problem. Um, you, I saw, you know, people have mentioned what the New York Times was like. You know, professional publications are out like saying, "Hey, let me teach you how to take some good pictures," so you turn it. And I think we've already got a society that's Instagrammed itself into the world that's figured out. Light is good. They know where to find the good light in the building. They know where to go find the good, you know, they, they know that. And I think as long as we can help them a little bit and say, hey, these are the kind of pictures we're looking for and give them a couple of samples. I don't need 20 minutes worth of them, but just a couple. I bet you we can get it. Um, we sent, a, I sent, my kids put together a questionnaire form and we sent it out in the beginning of May to all the kids in the building to ask questions about all the COVID-19 stuff what had happened with their job, or all that kind of stuff. But one thing we did is we included a place where, show us a picture of what these this quarter has looked like to you, if you want to, if you've got something you want to send to us. And I would tell you that maybe 70% of those pictures were really nice, you know, mm -hmm. and they of the kids who turned them in. And I would say out of 200 kids that responded, maybe we had 125 pictures, which I thought was, that was more than I anticipated. So, yeah. you know, I think I think if we ask, if you say, hey, we need your help, you've got, a, you know, you've got a lot of kids who are like, okay, I'm in, I'm game, I'd like to help. And I think they'll be there. And I think we just do a little teaching and, and we got it. And, and when you name check the New York Times, I, I want to clarify, you. I think you were speaking to the fact that the New York Times is, is trying to teach its subjects yeah. to then take the picture. But I think that came across in your answer, but, but do we train our subjects, our interviewees out in our student bodies, do this, this, and this. Um, our own kids working on the Spring Supplement Magazine, uh, a staff photographer found an inspiration photo, sent it to the softball pitcher and said, this is what we're looking for. Can your sister take this of you while you do it? Mm -hmm. And it and it kind of worked out. So that, that idea of, of smart crowdsourcing, um, I'm so glad to hear that the hit rate was that high for you for the responses. It was awesome. Um, we got we got some really fun photos that I was like, oh, I didn't, you know, the kids who had the Mayday flowers that they made and taken around to their different neighbors on, you know, on Mayday, and they had, oh my gosh, they had the best light. I was like, who taught them lighting? This is awesome. It was great light. Um, Brooke, you have to have spent some brain cells on this one already. Photography in the age of of COVID nineteen. Where do you take it? Yeah, so it's fun, like the whole cell phone photography thing. I've been introducing that to most of my staff at the beginning of the year, or I think since I've been working with Wallsworth, because a lot of schools I used to work with, and a still good portion that I work up with in Northern California, don't have the funds or the resources to have a number of DSLR cameras. So a lot of them are stuck with just their cell phones. And thankfully, the cell phone, like, quality has gotten so much better since like when I was in high school, we couldn't even use those pictures. Those were like, ha ha, 
you're joking, right? But now, like, you can actually print something out, and it's not going to be, like, you could totally pick it out and tell, like, oh, that was totally taken with a phone. But it's figuring out how to, like Becky said, teach those kids and show them, like, what those basic rules and, like, composition things are that we're looking for. Um, I love that you said that your students sent the softball picture, like, hey, this is what we want. And I think that's going to be a lot of what we wind up doing because the stories and stuff that we're going to be able to do in the books, if we don't go back to school, we're still not going to be able to go into someone's house and take pictures of them because we still have to be distanced and whatnot. And so finding a way to outsource and find people that are willing to share that content. Um, for my rural schools, though, it's I'm still trying to figure out what's the best way and how we're going to do that because half of the kids and some of my staffs don't even have cell phones. And so at that point, it's like, well, who, who is going to be taking those pictures and how are their stories going to be told? Because we don't want the yearbook just to cover the students that have cell phones. We don't want to have right. that straight divide. So that's, I'm still trying to figure that part out. But for the most part, a lot of the students, like Becky said too, like people are submitting photos when you're asking and it's just putting that out there and finding out. Um, I've asked a couple of schools too, where like, Hey, do you want me to just create some sort of like 20 minute presentation that you can share and have it be, to whoever on your canvas wants to see how do I take better photos and what are the best apps for me to have on my phone and whatnot. And some are saying, yeah, 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 that'll be super helpful. And I think if more people do that, then we'll at least be able to get to more students to take those better photos and not just rely on our yearbook staffers because they're going to be overwhelmed if it's just on their shoulders. I am routinely uh, called on the carpet by my staff for being tragically unhip and uncool. I'm 41. I don't listen to the right music and stuff. But as you were saying that, and you would make a 20-minute video for your schools, it struck me that if we can meet them where they are, I don't even know if this is possible, but like, could our staff members, our publication staff members, make instructional TikTok videos to say, like, this is what we photos and then they TikTok it because that's apparently cool and then it teaches i don't know man but i mean there might be something there i'm not i'm not sure jed you're laughing at me so i'm going to put you on the spot what are three things that advisors could do this summer right now whatever to start staff boot camp on <clears throat> iphoneography three things buddy i think first thing is you know just getting those kids Get, get the camera going, like get out into the open, get out, go out in your backyard, things like that. Um, you know, and I ended up teaching a lot of photography remotely during April and May. And it was all about just get that camera in your hands. And if it's the, if it's the iPhone, then that's what it is. Or if it's your, you know, whatever your cell phone is, but the assignments that I gave kids were things like out my back door. And that was the assignment. Uh, and the root of all of it was tell me a story. And, you know, a couple of our responses already tonight have been around that, around, you know, the story is what's important. Um, the photos help us to tell that story, the, the ability to get, uh, kids involved. Uh, you know, when we're talking about kids that don't have access to phones, uh, don't have access to cameras, how do we get them into the book? Um, but go out and tell me a story. So that's first. I read Second. Some, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I just, 
I just read somewhere that um, that there was one yearbook student who actually went out in his car and did porch photography, where he visited a lot of houses of people mm-hmm. that he couldn't otherwise visit. And I was thinking that's a way because he had he had a camera where he could zoom, so he was closer. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's another another solution to that. But I apologize for interrupting. You. No, you're you're totally good. And it's um, the seventy-two hundred sport lenses that are going to get repurposed. Yep. And won't be. <laughs> It won't be sideline lenses anymore. There'll be porch front sidewalk lenses. Right. right I was I was shooting from my car and and captured this. So I think that's the first part is just getting kids out. And you know, Mike, you and I have talked about this a lot. Number one, go out and take pictures. Um, number two, lesson that that then we need to do is teaching our students to analyze their own photography. Uh, I think that's going to be one of the gaps that I will struggle with. Uh, if we are doing a lot more remote learning, I've always had you know, one or two kids that are my photo editors that are really good at that photo analysis piece, looking through, kind of calling out what are the good and the bad. I think we're going to have to do a better job of teaching our individual students to recognize that on their own. Uh, so, and, and just do that through, go out and shoot and okay, everybody, let's post 10 photos onto this Padlet. And then we're all just going to talk about you know these ten photos, and we're we're going to analyze uh, and teach that piece of it. Uh, and then the third piece is okay. Now, how do we optimize the the camera settings that we've got available to us on the phone? Um, and we've I've even found with some of our kids, we've been able to do some sports photography. Uh, we've been able to do some sports photography in a poorly lit gym uh, on the cell phones. Uh, we kind of did it in, you know, my photography class as an experiment. Let's go out with the SLR and let's go out with the phone and go side by side and see what happens. The kids can figure out, you know, there are some photos that work if you're conscious of what you're doing. Uh, and that's where we start teaching about, you know, optimize the light that you've got there. Optimize the settings uh, on on your, your phone. Um, did you go... Uh, with just the the built-in app that came with it, or what are the uh, third-party apps that you can get through the App Store uh, to optimize those settings to take a little bit of control, uh, and that's what it's going to take, I think, to get good photos. And I'll, I'll I'd be interested, Jed. Maybe we can do this offline, but if, if you've got a couple of photo app recommendations, I know some of them approximate longer exposures and things like that, or straight up do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but can put that in the podcast links in the description as well. Um, Jeff, Jed talked about how photos can help tell the story, finish the story. I've got so many questions. People, advisors have so many questions about the stories that we are and aren't going to be able to tell next year. Um, I think too, it's important to acknowledge, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if this is overstating it or not, but this is how I framed it, but like the, the potential collective trauma low level, high level trauma of like, where is our football season or where is our school culture around which we build our Friday nights and things like that. Um, I don't know what it looks like in upstate New York, nor Denver or Texas or any of the rest of it, but being mindful of that eventuality, I think I, I'm, I'm fine asking the question. So my, my, one of my questions, Jeff, is, is in, in what ways are the stories going to be different or how do you contend as a staff with the, the loss of all of that. It's, it's what we always do in the book. It's, it's always in the first section of the book. There, there's no homecoming week. How are we going to do our homecoming story? And is it, is it initial words of comfort and like, like it's going to be okay, but like what conversations are you having Jeff with advisors that are asking those questions right now? Well, I think this is a, 
incredible opportunity for our journalists, our yearbook journalists, to really become journalists. Um, you know, for years and years and years, we've relied on, like you said, homecoming is going to be here, and then we have football. We may not have any of that, but the yearbook's not going to go away. Our stories aren't going to go away. So now they really have to dig deep and find out, you know, so we don't have football season, but maybe the story then is why did you start playing football? What influenced you to become a, a football player? So all these people still have stories. In some ways, the game is irrelevant. And if you look in your books, the time that the score is in the scoreboard somewhere, but that's not the heart of the story. And so, you know, I think that this is kind of the exciting part is we're going to see really true journalism in a lot more of the 2021 books. You know, we have schools that already do that really, really well, but now it's going to require so much more digging and thinking and how do we tell the story. And what excites me about that too, is I think that's going to flow over into 22, 23, 24, just because we've learned how to be storytellers, even when we've got our traditional school activities. So that's the exciting part. I do worry about the kids because um, all that stuff is, who knows, you know, um, I think to follow up on that, Jeff, I've, I've been having a, a great time watching our local media, um, you know, five o'clock news at 520. They're still doing the sports section. You know, they're, they're still doing the sports reporters are still there and they're still reporting. And it is all of those news stories that they are finding, you know, stories about the athletes, stories about, you know, some of those individual pursuits that people might have. Um, one of our local guys did a story about a fishing guide. Uh, you know, up in the mountains of Colorado. Uh, but that was the sports story for the day. Um, so I think we can find a lot if we start looking and start putting our kids onto the task, you know, get the, those editors looking like, how are the professional journalists continuing to tell stories? That's going to help us find our ideas. And I, and I think sports is a place that you talked about that. We had our, our girls soccer, like all the spring seasons canceled, but we had the girls soccer team out doing, they, they, got, they could count however many minutes of practicing they did on their own went toward this concept of them traveling from Kansas city to LA to New York, back to Kansas city. And by the end they had traveled, they made that huge trip because they put in all those number of minutes. But that was, I mean, those are the interesting stories that the kids came back with. The, the, the girl swim team did TikTok Tuesdays. And so on Tuesdays they would do, you know, that was just, it was, and that was their fun. They did fun stuff. They did clever stuff. I, I actually found that we found probably better sports stories strangely enough, because we looked beyond the obvious. And that was the really nice part. I think the thing I keep telling advisors and students, I was like, it's not going to be like, we're so used to our yearbook being event-based and it mm -hmm. can't be event-based anymore. It has to be person-based and finding those little stories like the TikTok Tuesdays. I feel like I saw those all over the place and I still don't understand TikTok, but I have a better understanding now because I see them all over the place and I'm like, okay, but it, it is, it's the, all about the people. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that when we're so used to our traditions of homecoming, Friday night lights, this, 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 and that. And now we do, we get to kind of refresh and I'm just like Jeff where I'm just, I'm excited about it. It means storytelling is going to get so much more like power and pictures are still going to be important everything like that but it's how we're going to display and talk about those things that is just like <laughs> and so kristen let me use that 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 woohoo as a, as a bridge over to you like how do you imagine yourself coaching your girls 
to this is a question that comes from from Megan Percival in, in Virginia. She said, you know, how do I help my veteran staffers stop thinking about look at everything we lost? How are we going to replace these stories and recognize like this is a really cool, exciting opportunity to do something completely different with your book? Like, I don't want to I, I agree with everybody in the room who's like, do, do you see when people started, I say this respectfully, but people said this on Facebook early in COVID in March, they're like, we've lost our spring sports section. We've lost everything. What stories could we possibly tell? And I'm like, you, there are so many stories out there. Like, go interview a grocery store kid. Every town has grocery store kids that are working as cashiers. What is it like to be in crazy town where there's no toilet paper? Like, that's a story. So, uh, Kristen, coaching your kids, like, seeing past what used to be and what the opportunities are now, have you started thinking about how you're going to coach them through that? I mean, to me, so much of that is just the teacher's attitude. I mean, as an advisor, if you come in with that energy and with that perspective, it affects your kids. And once the editors buy in, then they get the staff to buy in. Um, we've already started that process. Uh, I, like you, just got my my baby editorial board, you know, my, my new board for next year for Yearbook and The Oracle, which is our online newspaper, which I also advise. And, well, the, the just I just want to talk briefly about the newspaper first because I think they're very connected. And like you said, your book is also journalism. They've written better stories in the last two months than they had written in the six months before that. Mm -hmm. Because and if you search like the hashtag coronavirus in on that paper, I'm so blown away by everything they've done. Similarly, the yearbook staff in the middle of March, because we we were out of school by March 13th, and you know, they panicked at first, and then we started talking about possibilities, and they got kind of interested and intrigued. Now, I'm not minimizing in any way that this was incredibly hard and that it's going to be hard next year. But I think if we come into it with the attitude of this is an incredible opportunity for you to document, like literally historians are going to be studying the yearbooks of 2020 and 2021 and 2019. I mean, they, they are going to look at and study patterns in how students experienced the world these two years. And I think if you frame it that way, they do the rest because they get they are super creative and interested and and engaged, um, and I and I think also your suggestion earlier um, about seeing Jed about seeing what professional journalists are doing is so good. Yeah. I was teaching column writing recently, and I went out and just was like grabbing some sample columns because I hadn't updated my columns in a while. And I went to sports columnists, and I found one sports columnist writing about. Um, watching kids play as sports commentary out like kids and their siblings out in the yard. It was hilarious, but it was also like really well-written and interesting. And I read um, another column, professional columnist who was writing about, you know, how, how are we going to handle individualized children's sports? Like, are we going to make elementary school kids play together by hula hooping apart from each other and things like that? So I think these types of stories are out there um, and, and they're ripe for the kids to find. The hardest thing is just getting the content, like the, the doing the interviews and getting the content and having the ideas, I think is the fun part. Pinning down the content in terms of the photography is hard. Um, Unlike Becky, uh, we have not had as much success reaching out to our students and having them get back to us. I think they have email and texting fatigue right now. And 
we're getting like, when I look at the stats of who opened emails, it's way down from when it was before all this started. Um, so I, I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. Stephen, have you thought about some of the opportunities that, that might be available to you? And, and I don't mean to fit you on the spot. I know you said the book was supposed to come two weeks ago. You're still working on it. I kind of read between the lines. You, you are the one working on it because the kids aren't aren't able to engage with you for a variety of reasons. Um, I know you're very much still in it right now, but has your head turned towards the future to some positives there at all? Well, I, I've always kind of uh, questioned the kids on kind of that traditional yearbook sections. And I, they, I've always given them the option of a chronological or umbrella coverage type book, but they've always kind of liked that traditional sports clubs kind of section. Um, but I think that the future is going to have to come into having a plan for, you know, what happens if in the winter during flu season, this whole thing hits back again and we're out either in the middle of the year or the rest of the year. Uh, Cause right now, while the sections like, you know, that's, it's a kid's book, they can do what they want. This is the sections I've been dealt. Um, but how do I then, you know, I can't go back and undo a chronological book. I can't go un, you know, so I'm kind of stuck with what I got, right? Um, but you already so now you the it. end number first, too. The end sheets are locked, man. Right. The table of contents is locked. <laughs> right. So, uh, so I, I've had to kind of do things like um, one of the sports we just hadn't got a chance to, you know, softball hadn't really gotten started. We had we had this many photos of softball, uh, so what I ended up doing was we scrapped the page and we just ran six photos of athletes who got to compete, but their season didn't uh, get completed. And just a long quote from each of them about what was it like to get to play and then trip right at the end, right? Like you, you just couldn't finish. Our, our boys soccer team was one game away from playoffs. And, and so it was kind of like, uh, you know, so it's just kind of applying those journalism ideas and just having a plan so it's, i don't even think it's saying like okay well if football doesn't happen we're going to run this spread it's you have to be flexible and go what is happening and then just put that in the book and and so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask a question to the room Stephen, and, and maybe push back gently on, on something that you just said um for for sake of a couple definitions for any of the audience members listening um, we talk broadly, and, and people, you, you, you guys can jump in if, if you think I get this wrong, but broadly we talk about traditional books uh, structure that have uh, student life, clubs and groups, academics, sports, and hopefully a reference section with your portraits in, which we should definitely talk about portraits here in a second. Uh, a chronological book where the structure of the book is as the year happened. Earlier in the book is earlier in the year, so if you are a spring delivery book, you may open with the first day of school, maybe some summer coverage, and then the year unfolds uh, right in order. An umbrella book or a blended book, a concept book, that's where you have some unifying concept, your theme that carries uh, and, and provides structure such that maybe it's a, a word replacement or something that where every spread has some kind of unifier on it. Um, I. Aaron, we need Aaron Harris to jump in on the call. There's lots of phenomenal um, umbrella books out there. She's She's got it knocked. It's all that her school does. Um, it allows a lot of flexibility, wordplay, but they're a bit harder to pull off. Um, Stephen, the, the pushback, um, and I, I really I do offer this to the whole room, is somebody asked in one of the questions, is a chronological book a great place to go next year? Because regardless of what happens, 
you're ready to cover it. So if you do lose um, the, the football season, you don't have to replace the football spread. You just move into your spread that is the second week of October. And if that's when you went back into self-isolation, you report on that and the consequences of that and things like that. So um, you got, I mean, we're, we are all friends here. I don't know if this will be a vigorous debate and I don't need people to agree with me, but I definitely want to open it to, to y'all's opinions and, and kind of perspectives on if you guys have thought about this at all. Um, Brooke, I've got you dead center on the bingo board. So can, have you had, have you had those questions from your advisors at all or, or wondering about next yeah. year? So it's, it was interesting when I, where I grew up in Southern California, chronological books were very much the thing. And then when I came up to Northern California, they don't exist up here. They always do the traditional setup. And so I have one school this year that decided to do a chronological and I'm like, yes, I've got one. Cause I think it makes sense that way. It's kind of the way my brain works. I'm like, okay, I'm going through the year and we're covering what's happening and with what's going on. The one school that did the chronological, they didn't really have the issues that some of my other schools were having because they're like, okay, I can just, let's fill in this other stuff and we don't have to worry about this one spread that's in the academic section and this one spread that's in the sports section that we didn't get any content for and it was more of just like a flowing sense so i am all for the chronological books i think with especially what's going on and we never know what is going to happen especially i think a few of you have already said like what if we go back and then flu season comes around and we have to leave again and it's just leaves right. things a little bit more open and more flexible and I think it'll be interesting also to see what in sheets look like, because you had mentioned the table of contents and those are usually due pretty early on in the year. And when that's not, are people not going to put their table of contents on those in sheets anymore? Will it be maybe the second spread, like before the opening? I don't know what that will look like either, but it was just like, hmm, yeah, that's another thing to think about in my little pocket. <laughs> yeah. Jeff, I've been watching you. It looked like there was some agreement there. Would would you, when you're consulting with schools this summer, I don't know. I don't know how you do your magic around the table with a group of kids if it's convincing or strongly advocating. But would you encourage schools to think about chronological, perhaps for the first time this summer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because just like what everyone said, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, Brooke said we live chronologically. Um, you know, I try to empower them to make their own decisions, but I would push back and tell, ask them, okay, if you're, you want to do traditional, tell me why and how you're going to do it. And some of them are brilliant and they'll have a great argument. And I, other, other times they'll like kind of trip over themselves and then they realize this is what we're going to need to do. I cannot really imagine not doing chronological this year because of all of the things that you said. Um, you know, one of the things that the book is going to have to be, the theme is going to have to be flexible. The pages are going to have to, you know, we're, I don't think we're going to have a ladder that's saying this is what's going on these pages and this is when they're due and this is who's doing them. All that's gone. Um, but we have to have a backup for all those pages. I I worry, and somebody said this at the beginning, like, okay, well, we lost those sports. So now we're not going to, we're going to cut out those pages or somebody on another call before said, we're going to do half a book. I'm like, you know, no, um, a chronological book is going to give you an opportunity to cover all of those things. And it goes back to being a journalist and also the photography aspect. All of these things are, are woven in together, which is why I think it will be very hard to do a traditional sectional book. And Becky, can I get you in there? Would you encourage the, and I'll come up to you, Kristen, the, the North kids, have you, have you weighed this up yet? 
Yeah. And, and, and like I said, they were still finishing this book, but of course they're looking to the next one now. And just yesterday, yesterday's meeting, um, the editor pulled up his idea for next year's ladder and his ladder actually goes back to a more traditional book. And part of it's because this year for the first time we did weekly coverage. Um, we did Martha Akers type book. I, we did weekly coverage and then sports and then reference. So it worked out pretty nicely. It worked out well for this, but I think the, the weekly, as cool as it is, they miss having a topical page where they can do kind of like larger than life photos and that kind of stuff. They're not trying to cover five things on one spread. So what I think I like is I'll go back to what I call organic chronological. It's where you take those pieces from a traditional book and then put them chronologically throughout your book. Right. So you don't have all your sport, your sports isn't necessarily going to be all together, but your fall sports might be piecemeal together, but they're going to be you know, that kind of stuff. So I think I kind of like that because it gives us a chance to, so if something doesn't occur, we just figure out what occurs in that spot and we fill it in. And it's, it still leaves you with plenty of uh, flexibility and you're not quite to the point where you have to renumber, you know, 40 pages in your book. Right. This might be a great year to put your, I don't know if this is possible, you know, send your dividers last and put your tables of contents on each divider. So you're still providing that reader service, but they go as they go. There's going to be a lot of really wacky deadline reconfiguration stuff coming too. Um, Kristen, uh, Becky just talked about flexibility. I've got to think you've got something to say about this on, on structure. Yeah, it's actually kind of funny because we went to a monthly chronological two years ago um, with a blend exactly what you're talking about, Becky. We have, um, and, and right now we're a pretty small book in that first part because of a lot of different reasons. We're small school. We don't have the sports type. We have sports, but we don't have like Friday Night Lights or any of that. So um, I, I, what we did is we did um, five spreads, could be bigger depending on your school and on the time per month and each spread had a theme. So it was like sports, what sports had been happening that month, what academic stuff had been happening that month, what, um, et cetera. And, and we went through arts, we did arts and then we would do, you know, which could be performance. And then we had a, an extra spread that we just called our special spread, which is what's something bigger that happened this month that we want to spotlight. And next year we're gonna do the same thing, but we're gonna flesh it out a little bit. We're gonna add maybe two or three more spreads, but and we're gonna have a plan for what we think is gonna go on those pages so that we can make sure we have our sports and we have our academics and we have everything else. But then if something gets canceled, it's easy enough to plug something else in. Maybe it's daily coverage, maybe you're profiling an athlete. Um, maybe you have three pages for sports for that month. And maybe you end up doing a different sport for each month because you you can but maybe you don't um and I, I have to say that the it really has worked well for us and i think that this year it's going to be a godsend i think it's going to save us from having to completely revamp and then our table of contents is divided by season so we have spring we have fall winter spring so that can be established right from the start because we know we're going to have a certain number of pages in each one, but then within right. those pages, we don't number all those ahead of time. So the table sure. of contents sure. is less of an issue. Yeah. Um, I, I think more than ever, we have to give ourselves some flexibility and you know what, if the table of contents is four pages off, <laughs> yeah. the yearbook police are not going to kill. It's not going to stop you from getting a gold crown. You know, if, if someone's mom calls and tell you about it, well, great. You know, here's a pillow and <laughs> Kleenex, you know, we all get so caught up and you know, especially those of us that 
are into scholastic journalism and we just get caught up it has to be this certain way it doesn't you know and yeah. it'll be okay and I felt, especially in the spring, like so many advisors were just like, oh, you know, but let, let it be, um, right. you know, and that goes back to whatever theme, whatever story you're telling, we're all going to be living in there. So let me write that down in my notes of possible themes when people are stuck. Uh, my, my, my lead theme for, for 2021 is like, you know, we're making it up as we go or something like that. Uh, emblematic and perfect. Um, Stephen, for you, as it goes to to structure, and, and I'm thinking, I, I, I keep on, uh, my, my heart keeps on going back to what you've said about access to your kids and some of the, the socioeconomic issues that you're confronting. As it, as it goes towards like, this is a, there's a question in here somewhere, but as it goes to planning and structure and coverage, you, it, it sounded like you said you're having a hard enough time reaching out to your kids. If that's you as the teacher to the kids, you supporting the kids in getting in touch with their classmates to interview them and things like that. I've, I've got to think that that's going to be a concern down the road as well. I'm not sure how I got there from structure, but if you want to go with it, I know, I know, I know students text students and your students are probably Snapchatting each other, but if the issues are as they, you say they are, and I believe, I believe that they are, are there some added complications of how the hell are you going to get an interview? Yeah. Uh, so that's been fun. Uh, because the kids, uh, I do have, just to be clear, I do have some kids that are, you know, able to help out here and there. So it's not like it's just dead air. Um, uh, but it's been, you know, emailing the coach, um, to con who can contact that kid. It might be, um, you know, we've set up Google, uh, uh phone numbers. Uh, for our school. So we've been able to like, if a, if a coach has a kid's cell phone, we can call them. Right. And, yep. and been able to, to have an interview with them or whatever. Um, but I think to, to kind of go back to structure a little bit. Um, I think that, you know, frankly, I don't, I've never seen that chronological traditional umbrella, whatever you want to, you know, go with, you know, really matters. You just have to be flexible in any case. Because if you're traditional and you want to go sports, student life, clubs and orgs, whatever, that's great. But you have to be flexible no matter what drops. If it's chronological, you do still have a plan. You know what events normally come up in March. You know what happens in April and that you're going to plan for that. And if it doesn't, you got to find a plan B. Um, and so, uh, like, for example, uh, giving an example, at the very beginning of the year, we came into school, biggest staff we've ever had. Uh, guns blazing, had ladder done, ready to go. And then uh, just a few weeks in, Hurricane Harvey, or not Hurricane Harvey, tro Tropical Storm Imelda came and flooded our school. And so we immediately sat down and went, all right, so that spread's gone. This is now going to be about the flood. And then, of course, now we're out of pandemic mode. And so it's like, okay, well, these things are now gone. We're going to put it back with this. But it's just all about telling the story. You know, I don't have a a random coronavirus page in the sports section, it's coronavirus about sports. And if it's in the student life, it's, you know, coronavirus and how the community reacted and how it went, social media went viral. So right. I think that honest, because I know that as a new advisor, it was very overwhelming to go, some people were saying, you should go chronological and you should just upturn the apple cart completely and be, you know, a, a blended coverage book. And I was like, I don't even know 
who my kids are yet, you know? <laughs> and so um, I think that it, you just have to apply basic journalism, journalistic sense to any uh, book that you have and just talk through options with your kids about, you know, so what would happen if this, well, how would we report, you know, if mm -hmm. uh, this club never gets to meet? Well, uh, for example, I'm a debate coach in addition to this, and our kids get to compete at their district tournament. Our national tournament is virtual. And so that's going to make up part of our book uh, because, you know, those kids were competing for scholarships and now they can't. Right. So I think it's just applying basic sense to any structure that you have and having the common sense not to, to you know, panic and just go, okay, well, this happened. So now we're going to report on it. Right. Right. I think, I think we have an opportunity here as advisors to get back to what is the heart of the yearbook. And, you know, in my 17, 18 years of doing it, I, I've seen, you know, as we've trended through a couple of things and, you know, we were, you know, traditional coverage and, oh, now we're this coverage and now we're that coverage and we were this type of design and, oh, you need, you know, your dominant two to three times bigger than anything else and four to six supporting photos to go with it. And, you know, the argument over a stacked caption, uh, you know, and been through all of that. And Becky, I know you've been through it too. Um, this is our opportunity to get back to that idea of we're telling the story, uh, you know, and, and I, I had some students confront me uh, for this year with, I think we're putting too many photos on the spreads. And they said, we need to have fewer photos on the spreads and, and we need more text. And, and it was an eye opener for me. Uh, but I think this is our chance to throw away a lot of the conventions, a lot of those ideas around your structure. Uh, it's not a traditional or a chronological. It's, we're telling the story of what happened. Um, you know, it's not, were we able to get the photos or not? It's, are we able to tell the story? And if we don't have the photos, then we tell it through first person narrative. We tell it through interviews and quotes. We tell it, you know, we find the way to tell the story and we've got that opportunity right now. I'm inspired, Jed Palmer. <laughs> I'm inspired. Listen, friends, um, I, I want to be sensitive to time and I, I, I do. I honestly feel like we're just getting warmed up and I've got literally on my on my Google Doc, I've got like 22 other questions to ask you. Um, I, I want to do a soft ask of like, OK, so next next Thursday night, are you all are you all free? Um, <laughs> Kristen, I'm going to go to you and I, I just want to do a loop around the room. I, I did ask you guys um, to ponder this a little bit uh, in email earlier today, but either you guys might want to just you know, speak to yourselves right now, like you're saying it so you can hear yourself say it, Kristen, but as you confront the the going back to school and just where you are right now, what, what advice or words of comfort or really big questions, because it's not comforting at all, just kind of where are you as you look at first day of school and return to school? And what would you offer to advisors who are, who are listening? Boy, that's not a small question. Um, <laughs> well, you guys are all getting it, so I'm going to ask this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess what I would say, I've been in the classroom, this next year will be year 24 for me. Um, and the only thing that I've experienced that was even remotely like this was 9-11. And I was on the East Coast at the time living in Connecticut, which is not New York City, but was close enough that there were a lot of kids that were very impacted. And I was really young when that happened. I was a new teacher. And I remember feeling like it was the first time in my life I ever really felt like a grown-up because I had to stay calm 
and I had to stay reassuring and I had to be someone that those high school students who at the time were like six or seven years younger than me (laughs) um, so that they felt comforted. And I feel like we just have to keep remembering that it's okay for us to have our little breakdowns because we're going to, and it's okay to feel overwhelmed and stressed and worried. But as much as we can, we need to insulate our kids from that because they're already feeling stressed and worried. And I think if we come into this with the oppor- with the attitude of this is an incredible opportunity and it's challenging and it's okay to feel what you're feeling, but we are going to get through this and we and things are going to get better. It will take time, but we'll get there. And I, I think that's the only thing that that I would offer. Okay, between you and Jed right now, I'm feeling like I can go do anything. So let's keep this up. Uh, Stephen, I'm going to come around to you, my friend, for for some last words here. What are you thinking about or what what comfort would you offer to advisors who might be in your shoes uh, going back to the first day of school? Uh, my well, two things came to mind. One is next year, I'm just going to try and provide a sense of normalcy. Um, when we came back from the tropical storm, which is I've taught four years now and I've had two hurricanes and tropical storms, um, just the kids are wanting to be returned to normal. They miss school. I've had kids say they just, they're doing homework because they're bored and want, and they just have a newfound appreciation for school. Um, so, so the first is just you know, my role as an educator is to provide a safe place for them to learn. And, you know, I, I don't want to, like, overlook what's happening and what, what did happen. But at the same time, we can't be in mourning for another year or two years. You know, we have to move, not move on, but move forward with a sense of understanding of what happened. Um, and in terms of more, a, more, a less emotional, more practical side is just keeping things simple. Um, I think that having a, a simple, straightforward plan will help for two reasons. One, a lot of our staffs won't be able to train like they had before. And so they might not be able to, you know, jump right back in with the more complicated designs or, you know, photographic concepts. Um, and two, if things suddenly stop, we now have a pretty simple, straightforward design plan, curriculum, design, whatever, Um, because I kind of got hamstrung by a very beautiful spread design we have now that just takes forever to lay out um, that if it was a lot more simple would help. But, you know, going forward next year, keeping things simple will help you if the worst case scenario were to happen and we get stuck like this again. Because I know a lot of advisors do get stuck uh, I know a lot of advisors that are still in my position of being a design team at one still. Right. Right. Well, thank you. And, and best of luck as you wrap up this book. I know it's a lot and uh, we'll be certainly I'll be thinking about you. Um, Jeff, if you're talking to advisors later this summer, what's going to be top of mind for encouragement and support that you're going to offer? Um, I think it's going to get messy and that's okay. Um, life is, that's how life is. And, you know, I think these kids are going to be really resilient, especially 10 and 20 years from now. There is nothing that you're going to throw at them that they can't be like, okay, let's make a plan right now. Maybe they're not there, but as we move forward, this, you know, messiness is going to turn into some really wonderful things and wonderful people. And I know it's hard right now, but I I think we have to let it be messy. Um, 
I like that. Simple. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Becky? You know, I think probably the nicest thing I've come up with, we use WebEx, Sorry, district uses it, but having our WebEx meetings once a week and stuff, I think I'm going to try to keep it up this summer, just a little bit, not, I mean, like maybe 15 minutes, just zoom in and zoom out. No pun intended. Um, but meeting with them, my, my 84 year old mom, who's in a wheelchair and can't get out. And she is the lady who is dressed to the nines and she's out every Friday night at dinner. And she's, so this has been really hard on her. So she can't go to her little sorority alumni meetings that she likes to go to every two weeks where they play bridge and Mahjong. They, they play all these games. They've been playing um, bingo. And my mom figured out all on her own without me having to go over there because for the first month I was really trying not to, to go over very much. Um, she figured out all on her own. They, they emailed her the bingo card. She printed it out. She learned how to use Zoom. They, they coached her through how to get her picture on the screen. And so I asked my kids, I'm like, would you guys want to play bingo? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, I think if my mom can do it, then I can figure this out. And we can all do it. So I wanted to do some fun stuff too. Um, and, and to go tag that on with the fun stuff. So I want to do some fun stuff. But I also um, want to do training. And so like yesterday, I emailed out to all the parents and all the kids. Here's the camp that we usually go to in the summer. Um, it costs 50 bucks. I think we can cover 25. You need to pay the other 20, that kind of stuff. But then I also went through and went through the country and found all the free ones and had a list of, yeah. Hey, if you are and I also put the ones that it cost, I, you know, I said, or if you want to go to some of these, but I had them all listed out and I said, here's some ones that if you just, Hey, you want to take an hour and do this one session over here, you could learn something cool about leadership or you could learn something about this. You might take a look at it. I don't know if I'll get any folks that spend any time on it, but I figure if one person goes and looks and it's been a success. Yeah. There's a wild number of resources available for, I'm like, I can go to camp in Missouri and Texas and California. And, and my wife is like, when are you going to get off the screen, Mike? Like, <laughs> it's going to, and that's, that's going to be, I mean, in all seriousness, us and, and Becky, I heard clearly you're not demanding that of your kids, but us also modeling, right? how to keep that in balance is going to be really, really important too. Mm -hmm. um, Brooke and, and then Jed to wrap up, uh, wise words to advisors listening. Yeah, um, I think I like what everyone's saying, it's, it's okay to not know because we're all in that same position right now and we're all figuring it out. And every day it's like, ooh, this is a brilliant idea. And then maybe two days later, like, oh, never mind, that's not going to work anymore because X, Y, and Z happened. So being willing to be flexible and not be cemented in and be ebbing and flowing with what's going on. Um, I love when my schools, unfortunately, we had a bunch of fires this year, last yeah. year, and one of my schools actually partially burned down two years ago. And so they kind of have formed this resiliency already there for them. And they kind of already like, oh, COVID, no problem. Like we got this, like we're used to being out of school for a couple of weeks, a couple of months. And this is a lot more extended. And so they're still trying to wrap their heads around it, but they went into it thinking, oh, this is no big deal. And it was really awesome because at first when it started, I was like, oh man, this is, this is gonna be a mess. But they already were being so positive about it and just willing to change what they thought was the status quo. And I think that's just something that we all need to be re like realizing, like there is no status quo anymore. And we just right. have to go with what's being given and make the best of it. And that's going to be the best we have that year. And that's okay. And I think it's going to be awesome. I think storytelling and everything that we've talked about, it's like so exciting. I'm super pumped for the next year to start already. I'm like, oh, okay, like here we are. And I think it's like having that energy and showing that I like that Kristen was like, when whatever vibe you're putting out, 
the students are going to feed on that. And so even if you feel like June and gloom, you can't present that. You have to go in with that smiley face because whatever you're feeling, they're going to take them like, oh, okay, maybe this is terrible. And it's like, no, it's, it is going to be great and fun and it, we're going to make the best of it. I do want to interject, and I know none of you are being dismissive of this. It's going to be so important for us as advisors and professionals, adults, people, to manifest really good self-care habits so that we can be there for the kids and present for the kids. Um, and sometimes that's going to mean saying no. Sometimes that's going to mean meaning to reach out on Facebook. That might be renewing your JEA membership or signing up for the first time to be part of that, that tribe, um, to reach out to your reps and to the creative professionals in your life, your companies, and say, I need help right now. I'm not showing that face to my kids, but I need help and I, I need you because I'm struggling. It's gonna be really important to speak up to that. Um, Jed, I'm gonna give you the last word and then we're gonna say a couple of goodbyes here, buddy. Well, and, and you kind of touched on what I've been thinking about is, is what Sorry. I am telling people, no, it's fine. What I've been telling people is we have each other as well. Like, you know, there, there's the seven of us sitting on this, conversation and we're just a, a tip of the iceberg of the advisors that are out there and to know that i might not have the answers but somebody out there is going to have an answer for me i just have to be willing to to reach out and uh you know get in touch with my people uh, so that would be my advice for advisors over the summer and into the start of the year is find your people you know whether they're your local people and you know i've already reached out to the yearbook uh, advisors in my county, uh, you know, what are your ideas around distribution right now? And what are your ideas around what it looks like in the fall? Um, amongst us, we have such power within our group. Uh, we're going to come up with the right answers. Uh, we just have to, we just have to reach out and share with each other. That's, uh, yeah, that's a great place to end too. I know at the top, um, we congratulated Becky on her achievement with uh, being named the HL uh, Hall Yearbook Advisor of the Year. Um, Kristen, I need to offer an apology. I scrolled too fast through the bio stuff. Uh, unfortunately, in March, we couldn't gather at CSPA and recognize you. You were recognized as one of the distinguished journalism advisors nationwide. Um, and I wanted to celebrate that and not let the opportunity pass us by. So I apologize for the oversight, but congratulations. And I'm, I'm sorry that we couldn't celebrate you in person at the, uh, at the library. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, listen, friends, I'm so grateful for you guys taking the time. Uh, this is a little bit of an experiment between the podcast and the video space. Uh, hopefully it all comes together in the edit. Uh, but thank you for making the time and for doing all that you do for uh, kids in your book programs. We know that the work has value and worth, and we know that we are confronting some really spectacular challenges. Um, but I, I will say I, I was feeling one way at noon today thinking about this, and I'm really like legit right now. I'm like, let's go. It's, <laughs> it's time. So thank you again, Stephen, Kristen Taylor, Brooke, Jeff, Becky. Thanks for making the time. We really appreciate it, guys. Thank you.